Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's a great football team with a lot of moral fiber and a lot of character, and they showed it. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast, hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot. No place else you'd rather be than right here, right now. When it's too tough for them, it's just right. Presented by Syracuse.com and NYUP.com. The Bills make me wanna. What is up, Bills Mafia? Welcome to the 2020 NFL season. Game number one is finally here. The season is starting. It feels like over the course of this offseason, it's like question after question. Will this ever come and be an actual thing? But we're here now and we're so excited. And, you know, for, for Bills fans, it's an exciting time because there's expectations for this team for a change. But the AFC East you know, kind of not a, a division that everybody's maybe talking about with Tom Brady have moved on and the Bills kind of on the come up, the Dolphins on the come up. We'll talk a little bit about the Jets in a minute. Uh, but I think there's a lot of interesting storylines. And I put together a roundtable of sorts tonight. Uh, joining us, uh, Ryan Talbot is always my co-host. Andrew Callahan uh, from the Boston Herald covers the Patriots. Josh Tolentino uh, from The Athletic, now on the Miami Dolphins beat. An interesting time to start covering them. And then Chris Ryan, our brethren from uh, Advance up in New Jersey. NJ.com covers the Jets. Guys, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Yeah, of course, man. Thanks for the invite. Yeah, for sure. All right, so if this is your first time checking this out, this is the shout a Buffalo football podcast rate review subscribe on all of your audio platforms. It really helps us out. We're live right now on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter, and we're going to dive deep tonight into the AFC East. A lot of interesting storylines, a lot of interesting teams. Ryan, why don't you take it over and uh, we'll get into this thing here. Yeah, absolutely. So we'll go right around the horn. We'll go Andrew, Chris, Josh, and Matt. Let's start out with the most interesting development this off season for the team that you cover. So uh, and maybe something or someone who might be flying under the radar. So, Andrew, most interesting development and something or someone who's flying under the radar. Yeah, I don't know if you guys heard this, but Tom Brady left the Patriots, the greatest quarterback <laughs> of all time. So I, I think that's an easy one for me. I don't need to elaborate any further. Uh, and almost equally as interesting, Cam Newton has come to replace him. As far as someone under the radar, I think you got to go with a rookie class for the first time in a long time. This isn't going to be one of the older teams in the NFL, which – you know, was as much reason as you could bank on the Patriots being as good as they were as much as Brady and Belichick. You just had so many steady veterans right there in the linebacking core, second and third round picks, Josh Uche, Anthony Jennings. They're going to play a lot this year. They're under the radar, but they won't be for long. Chris? Uh, down with the Jets, who also happened to lose one of their best players in Jamal Adams, who kind of pushed his way out of the door uh, and got a trade to the Seahawks uh, at the end of July, right before training camp. Um, and then a week after that, they end up losing C.J. Mosley uh, to an opt-out. So, a defense that was pretty good a year ago now all of a sudden didn't have their best two players going into camp. Uh, so that's definitely something to watch as uh, as a unit. Um, and then under the radar, probably just how they rebuilt the, the offensive line over the uh, offseason. Joe Douglas made that as priority, and he wanted to get Sam Darnold some protection, and uh, we'll see if that ends up working out uh, a week from today. Josh? Yeah, I think I'm going to uh, kind of go on the same train that, that Andrew went on and stick with the, the quarterback position. I think just I think we all know a few days ago, uh, you know, they parted ways with Josh Rosen. And I think the, the biggest takeaway from that is, you know, not that, uh, you know, obviously Ryan Fitzpatrick's been named the, the week one starter, but it's going to be the future. Maybe not right away, but um, the fifth overall pick in, in Tua Tagovailoa and, 
and you know with them saying bye bye to rosen i think it was a sign that that they trust where to his health is and that at any given time you know maybe even week one in new england uh in any type of circumstance that that fits does go down at any point of the season that Tua, you know might not mentally be there ready to take over but but from a health standpoint they're going to go with two quarterbacks on that depth chart so um i think all the attention down here in miami is on Tua, and just uh, you know he's probably the most hyped up athlete uh, in Dolphins land since uh, Mr. Marino. It's interesting. I've heard a lot, you know, over the course of the off season, particularly from the analytics crowd. I mean, football outsiders is a really good job. And I think that there's this expectation that this defense led by Tredavious white, Tremaine Emmons in the middle is going to regress a little bit this year. Take a step back. Everything that I've seen out of training camp over the course of the last couple of weeks tells me that I think this defense is going to be even better in 2020. I think that they're going to finally have a top 10, top five potential, uh, potentially uh, a pass rush. Jerry Hughes now, has a, a, a real partner in crime in Mario Addison, uh, who's had at least nine sacks over the course of his last four seasons. And I think we could see the Jerry Hughes of 2014-2015. I think he's kind of flying a little bit under the radar. I think he wants to remind everybody, you know, just of who he is. And, you know, he said it today in a, in a press conference that he's finally healthy. He played all last season with an injured wrist, had surgery on it in the offseason. He feels 100%. And I think along with Ed Oliver on the interior of this defensive line, you know, it could be pressure, pressure, pressure for this defense, which could mean big things for Trey White. White, Micah Hyde, Jordan Poyer, and that secondary. Excellent. Let, let's start taking a deep dive team by team. Andrew, we'll start with you. Besides Tom Brady, what's the biggest loss on this roster or even the coaching staff? Because you also lost one of the greatest coaches of all time on that offensive line. Sure, yeah. Th there's no understating what Dante Skarnecchia meant to this group. I mean, all the bodies are shuffled in there. I mean, he predates Bill Belichick. That, that might be the best way of putting it, but They've been able to protect Tom Brady throughout the years, and now you've got young guys coming in where they're going to back up this starting five, which could be one of the better lines in the NFL, but inevitably you're going to have to step in and are a question mark now. But when you look in terms of, of biggest loss, I, I, you know, if you're pinpointing one, I would probably say Dante Hightower because he's really the guy that unlocks that front seven. And when you lost you know, Kyle Vannoy and Jamie Collins in free agency, there were players ready to step up in those positions. But here you have not only just an inside linebacker, but also someone who can play on the edge and is a captain and understands the defense back to front. So there's no replacing all of that with one player. They're going to try to paper this over with some rookies who I mentioned in Uche and Jennings and, and some new leaders stepping up. So you're losing a key player in a key spot. And really the backbone of that defense, you know, they've got soft defensive tackle. You're going to have Kyle Duggar, a rookie at safety. Without Hightower in the middle, it's like a baseball team. You want to be strong off the middle. Right now they're weaker than they have been. And it, it really comes back to Hightower opting out just over a month ago. And you mentioned Cam Newton earlier. Uh, what's he been like at camp so far? And how confident do you think the Patriots are in him running the offense right away? I think they're pretty confident. Everything we've heard about Cam is he's hardworking, he's hardworking. And I'll tell you, that the default compliment from Belichick for any player is X player doesn't work. You know, no one works harder than X player. And he's given that to Cam, but also a whole lot more. And you've heard it from players. We talked to Kill Harry last week. He says he's getting in around six. Cam is always in there before him, and he never leaves once the day is over, right? Like you have practice, you have your meetings, an occasional lift. Cam's staying in there for a long time. As for his presence on the field, it wasn't so much training camp as just as Cam's camp. You could hear him. You could see him. He's making plays. It was a steady progression, I would say, throughout campus. He's getting better, which is really all you can ask for when he gets the playbook in late, in late June. So I think naturally, you know, they're not going to roll everything out there, but they're also in the process of rewriting things. So even if it's a smaller chunk of the playbook with which they're working, then it's going to be new, which means it's unpredictable, just as if they were picking from 100 different options versus maybe, you know, 50% of what the playbook normally would be. Very good. Uh, Chris, what's been going on at wide receiver? And should there be a concern over a lack of weapons for Sam Darnold? You look around the AFC East, especially like the Bills, where they have Stefan Diggs, John Brown, and Cole Beasley. And then you look at the Jets, and it's... Who's in there this week? Exactly. Uh, that, that was concern going into camp, and then the camp began, and they got hit by a ton of injuries. Losing Chris a little bit here. Yeah. He ended up being the um, – uh, hurting – yeah, sorry guys. Uh, he ended up Denzel Mims. He ended up hurting his hamstring um, in the first practice. Uh, he's barely gotten back, and he might be able to participate this week in 
uh, potentially get on the field for week one, but he's definitely not going to be where he could have been. And um, the Jets are banking on Brashard Perryman, who broke out with the Bucks at the end of last year. But uh, uh, can he sustain that? Is he going to be able to do that with Sam Darnold in a new offense and replicate what he did at the end of last year? They also added, as you mentioned, a lot of new faces on the offensive line. Uh, how have they looked so far, in your opinion? And what's a realistic realistic expectation for them in terms of gelling? The the group has looked good. Uh, no injuries there. Uh, Makai Becton, uh, the eleventh overall pick of the draft. Uh, I mean, he stands out just from his physicality and his size. Uh, he's a behemoth on that line, and everyone offensive defense has been impressed with him. And uh, as a unit, uh, they bonded pretty well, and they have pretty high hopes that they're going to be able to kind of turn things around, give Sam Darnold the time that he needs to be a productive quarterback, and even without maybe the weapons on the outside, at least time to uh, do a little bit more of the ball. And, and how about that scrimmage? Uh, the, the scrimmage was the talk of social media where the two, the second team kind of beat up on that first team. I believe there were three turnovers by the starting offense. What, was it as bad as it sounded on social media? It was definitely a bad day. I think it got a little bit more blown out than it potentially was. I mean, the offense and defense have both had their up and down days at uh, training camp as you would expect them to. Um, it just happened to be a day where the first team offense couldn't get anything going and the first team defense couldn't do anything either when uh, they were on the field. So um, they they responded pretty well. They had another kind of quasi scrimmage on Sunday a few days after that. And uh, the first team offense put up a couple of touchdowns. They played a lot better and uh, we didn't make as much big deal out about that. But uh, you know, I just think it was a bad day and, you know, you shake it off and move on. So after losing Jamal Adams and C.J. Mosley, what should we expect from this defense in 2020? It should still be a pretty good group. Uh, I mean, ask anyone who has watched a few practices. Marcus May at safety has probably been the Jets' best overall player on either side of the ball so far. Uh, so he's a guy who he's not the same type of player as Jamal, uh, but he can certainly step in and help. And Bradley McDougal, who came over in the Adams trade, uh, will anchor that uh, secondary and kind of play the center field role. Um, and then even with losing Mosley, linebacker is arguably their deepest position to begin with. So, uh, they have the guys just happen. They've got Blake Cashman, Neville Hewitt, uh, Avery Williamson's coming off the torn ACL back in the lineup. So they've got the bodies to make up for it. It's certainly not going to be as good as they could have been, but uh, definitely potential to at least kind of build off what they did a year ago. Excellent. And, and Josh, a lot of new faces on that Dolphins team. Uh, Peter King, though, picked them today to be the winners of the AFC East. So is that it? Are they going to win it this year? Or is this something where maybe there's not enough continuity to really expect that in 2020? Where do you stand on the Dolphins in terms of uh, competing for the AFC East? Yeah, I think it's more of the latter. I mean, when you think of the Dolphins, they're obviously still in a rebuilding stage. But uh, you know, the observation or predictions coming out that, you know, that they're they're going to contend for the AFC East, they're not that far-fetched. I mean, they're not that far out there. Um, when you think about what the Dolphins did this offseason, obviously they added Tua, but um, the bigger takeaway, you know, outside of adding Tua was that they spent the most money in the league uh, in free agency. I mean, almost $200 million on all these new faces. I mean, just going down the list, they're, these are, you know, proven guys, you know, some might have some injury history, but um, these are veterans in the NFL, like Kyle Van Noy, who knows uh, Brian Flores' scheme, uh, Landon Roberts, and then you, you add uh, a veteran cornerback like Byron Jones, the, the most uh, expensive paid, highest paid cornerback uh, in the league. I mean, those are some names that are going to give you production. And then uh, just to bring it back to the, the offense, um, you know, anytime that the quarterback is leading your, your team in rushing and their name's not Patrick Mahomes or Lamar Jackson, that's probably a, not a good sign. So, you know, after Fitz led the team in rushing, I think he had like 230 some yards last year. Uh, they were like, you know what, we're going to go add uh, to this position. And they did with Matt Breida and Jordan Howard. And uh, they kind of want this lightning thunder combination from them. I know that's a favorite phrase around the league between backs. But um, with Howard and Breida, I think they really do have that. I mean, Howard's obviously that zone rusher with a build bigger frame and Matt Breida. Uh, I think he fits well in terms of what they want to do, uh, you know, putting him out in the slot and you know, having him as a receiver. Yeah. So you mentioned the running backs already. What about his other weapons, Fitzpatrick's and Tua's weapons at wide receiver and tight end? Yeah. So that, that was actually part of the, the, 
one of the main questions heading into training camp was that um, when you think about the AFC East, there weren't many opt-outs on Miami's side. However, they did have two, uh, Albert Wilson and Alan Hearns, and both of them obviously are receivers. Um, so, uh, you know, and specifically with Albert Wilson at, at the slot position, um, there was really no one who emerged in terms of, uh, you know, the reps during camp. And um, so outside of Preston Williams, Devontae Parker, and Mike Kosicki, there are a lot of kind of question marks about who's going to catch the ball, who's going to run these routes, and where where is the ball going to be thrown to. So um, I think a couple names to pay attention to. Obviously, Matt Breida, he's going to be that big play, one of the fastest guys in the NFL. Um, but a couple of their slot options were, um, you know, Malcolm Perry. He played uh, quarterback at Navy, but he's a, uh, one of their rookies from this year's draft. And uh, they drafted him as a running back. He obviously played quarterback in college, but he's been playing a lot of slot um, throughout practices. So um, there's a lot of uh, reps to be had there at receiver behind uh, Devontae Parker and Preston Williams. And you mentioned the defense and all the additions that they've made. One, how good can the secondary be? And is that their strongest unit or is there another unit on the defense that's been performing better so far in, in camp and leading up to week one? No, I'd probably uh, stick right there with the secondary. Obviously, you have a pair of uh, safeties and Eric Rowe and Bobby McCain who are, um, you know, former cornerbacks. And, you know, they look more comfortable this season heading into that, you know, holding it down back there at the back end of the defense. But um, Byron Jones, while he hasn't been that impressive in camp, uh, you know, he's there's a lot of hype around him. Anytime you give him the biggest contract among at his position, you know, the expectations are going to be up there. Um, I think he's still transitioning, you know, to the personnel and really the scheme. But uh, when you bring that type of experience and then you pair him with Xavier Howard and, you know, X, he's missed a lot of games um, in his career. But when he's healthy, he's been one of the best. Um, they have potentially a, a top cornerback duo in the league. And um, it really depends, though, on Xavier's uh, health. And and beyond that, um, they drafted a, another rookie, uh, Noah Igbenanagini. I probably uh, muffed that up, but um, a rookie from Auburn. Good. He's only 20 good. years old. Yeah, he's only 20 years old, and he only started playing cornerback, I think, his senior or junior year of high school. But, man, he, he has a knack for, for getting the ball, and he's going to be a nice uh, nickel option there or even out on the outside if Xavier Howard uh, isn't healthy. So um, their secondary is definitely kind of one of their biggest strengths heading into uh, week one. Very good. And, and Matt? You know, whenever I read these predictions or I see on the TV TV shows where they're talking about the AFC East with the Bills, it's always, well, they have a great defense. They can win the division, but there's Josh Allen at quarterback. There's always that pause in, in Josh Allen. From what you've seen from him at camp, what area has he improved upon the most this summer? Yeah, I, I don't. It's hard to say, right? Because we've been watching him out at practice, and you know, practice always looks a lot better than I feel like it's going to look when the real games start and the real bullets start flying, if you will. I know Brian Dave always likes to use that phrase. Um, I think that what the biggest thing for Josh is, you know, finding somebody that can make plays for him on a consistent basis. I think that's where Stefan Diggs was the most important offseason move that Brandon Bean made because we saw last season in the playoff game, they went to Duke Williams 10 times and in, oh, I think only four catches and, you know, a couple drops. And I think you insert Stefan Diggs, And, and I think that that just helps. Uh, he's a calming presence. He can, he can make plays in that short game. You know, Josh Allen's got such a strong arm to be able to get the ball out quickly, get the ball in a guy like Stefan Diggs's hands. That's where I feel like this offense can kind of take it to the next level. We've seen it in camp. I tweeted out a video today of John Brown going downfield. Uh, it was one-on-one -on -one drills, of course, no defense, no pass rush. Uh, but I, I think that what we're seeing is a quarterback that looks more comfortable in his skin. And we've talked about this too, like Baker Mayfield, Sam Darnold, guys around the league that came in with him that are not named Lamar Jackson. You know, they haven't been surrounded with the same type of stability that Josh Allen has. And so now I think Brandon Bean, Sean McDermott, they're hoping that in year three, all of that stability, all of that uh, attention to detail in terms of building this, this offense around him is going to start to pay off. Defensively, the Bills lost their top two defensive linemen in terms of sacks last year in, in Shaq Lawson and, uh, and Jordan Phillips, but they added a lot of talent to that defensive line and a really strong defensive line coach in terms of a, a guy who's had success uh, having his line get after the quarterback. What are your expectations this year from the defensive line in terms of sack total? Are they going to be more successful as a unit this year than what we've seen in the last few years under McDermott? 
You know, I, I think it's hard to expect them not to be because you, you saw what Ed Oliver could do last year, you know, as a rookie at times. I mean, you go back to that Dallas Cowboys game when he was an absolute terror from the interior, two sacks, uh, forced fumble, a uh, couple tackles for a loss. I think he could be that more consistency consistently this year. I talked already about Jerry Hughes and Mario Addison. They've brought him back Trent Murphy. And I think Starla Tule, in a lot of ways, him opting out may be a blessing in disguise because it may allow guys like Vernon Butler, Quinton Jefferson, a little bit more uh, playing time. And I, I think that both of those guys can impact the quarterback. And I think that's where this defense can take another step forward in 2020, get to the quarterback more, force him to make mistakes um, in, in a, in a, in a division with Ryan Fitzpatrick, uh, Cam Newton, and even Sam Darnold to a lesser degree that can kind of move around back there a little bit. You've got to get pressure on the quarterback if you're going to be successful. And I think that they could do that a little bit more this year. Very good. Let, let's do some predictions here around the horn. We'll start with Andrew. Uh, we'll start with the Patriots. They've won the division so many years in a row. They've dominated the division. Do you see the Patriots winning the AFC East in 2020? I think they're going to make a very strong push for it towards the end, but it'll almost be a reversal of what we saw in week 16 last year where the Bills came into Gillette Stadium, got stopped at the very end, the Patriots clinch. I think it's going to be similar to that situation where the Bills finish maybe a full game um, ahead of them. I think they'll nab a wild card spot, but I think there's just too much loss as the Bills have continually slowly you know, done a very good job with their roster building in all aspects to get better. And we saw how close that game was last year, not to make too much of one game, but both of their head-to-head matchups were close. The Patriots are appreciably worse than they were last year. And I think in an offseason where continuity is going to mean so much, having McDermott there, Brian Dable, Josh Allen all together in the same system for a third year, I think it gives the Bills the edge. I think they take the division. Chris, Adam Gase is uh, someone that gets talked about a lot on social media. If they don't get out to a fast start, could you see the Jets making a move, a head coaching switch at some point this season, or do you think he lasts the entire year? I think he's going to end up lasting the entire year, and kind of like you just said, I think there's a chance they get off to a slow start. They've got Buffalo on the road in week one before coming back home and hosting the 49ers. So, I mean, you're still looking at two really tough games out of the gate, and it doesn't get a ton easier after that. Uh, so it's very possible they might win one out of their first four or five and could be in the same position as where a year ago. But uh, I, I think with everything that's gone on this offseason, they've, they've been talking about trying to progress and get to the point where they can be contenders, and they, they know that won't happen overnight. So I think Ace will have a little bit longer leash than maybe some people are giving him. And um, if they can kind of piece together a decent season, kind of contend and stay to the end, even if they don't make the playoffs, I think he'll shot up to stick around to the end. Very good. And Josh? The the quarterback competition there, you know, Fitz is going to start the year at quarterback. You have two awaiting in the wings. How do you see that playing out over the course of the season in terms of would they uh, hand the job over to Tua if Fitz is winning at some point? Or is this going to be if they lose a few games, then they're going to turn it over to Tua? Just how do you see that quarterback uh, room, I guess, panning out over the course of the year? I'd be surprised if they, they switched it over from Fitz to Tua. If Fitz is, is winning, I think they would ride uh, him out. But, I mean, the big part there is if they're winning. Um, I think it'd be a surprise to see Tua um, before the midpoint of the season. I, I'm kind of predicting the that when Tua does debut. And I think he will debut this season at some point. It'll be later uh, in the season, like, you know, week 12 beyond. Um, but – when we talk about the, the early parts of the season, uh, you know, they've got four pl- uh, playoff contenders from 2019 uh, in their first five weeks with two being in the division with um, New England and Buffalo. So uh, it might look ugly. I mean, it might look ugly here in the first uh, month. You know, if we're, we're chatting a month from now, they might be at uh, one and four, two and three. So um, does that accelerate to his clock? Who knows what the, the Dolphins are thinking? But again, uh, going back to to what we started on, it did say a lot when they, they got rid of Josh Rosen and said, you know, Tua, you're going to be the, the, the backup. Because, uh, you know, at the beginning of training camp, they weren't sure uh, that, that about his health, and he's checked all those boxes. And Matt, in Buffalo, they, they have a number one shutdown cornerback in Trey White. There's some question marks about that number two job. You have Josh Norman, you have Levi Wallace. Do you see one player taking over that role over the course of the season, or are they going to go with a committee approach to that second cornerback position? 
I've been amazed. I mean, I think all of us, you know, pay attention to the league. We watch, you know, uh, other teams and and how players are either ascending or descending. And, you know, we've watched Josh Norman over the course of the last couple of years really struggle in Washington. And even with those struggles, I've been amazed at the amount of confidence that not only does the coaching staff have in him, but player the players do too. I mean, Tredavious, what you talked to him about Josh Norman, and there's this, there's this level of uh, belief in what he can still do now. Can he still do that? That remains to be seen. We haven't really seen him that much. He had the hamstring injury. We didn't really get to see a lot of him in the scrimmage. He had the one interception. Uh, that was the play that he was injured on. Uh, but I, I do think that he's set up for success from the perspective of you, you have a guy like Tredavious White that you can lean on. You don't need Josh Norman to be the guy that he was in Carolina. If he could just be a little bit better than Levi Wallace was a year ago, and you still have Levi Wallace, who's a developing player as well, I, I think those are good things. And, I, and again, I think... A lot of cornerbacks are made a lot better by an improved pass rush, and I'll continue to go back to that. I think it'll be better this year. Absolutely. Looking in the commentary here from people watching live, Travis Sennett says, I have a question. Who thinks any AFC team wins the East two, three years in a row? You know, I guess what he's asking here is we've seen the dominance from the Patriots over the last two decades. Is any team really set up to, to win maybe two or three years in a row, or is this division going to be there for the taking maybe over the next five years just based on what you can see in terms of how all the rosters are pretty equal? So we'll go right around the horn. Andrew, starting with you, do you think the division is something that could be a, a different uh, division winner on a year-by-year basis, or is there one team that's ready to kind of take it over the way the Patriots did? No, I, I don't see any dynasty in waiting, and I think that's also just the nature of the NFL, right? Like the Patriots have been the ultimate exception here in the division for 20 years, but you look almost anywhere else. I mean, Baltimore, arguably the best team in the league, comes seemingly out of nowhere last year in the North. You know, Kansas City's being a mainstay in the West. No one really knows in the NFC East. You can keep going on and on. But also just the fact of the uncertainty that you face next year in the offseason with a salary cap that's either going to be kept flat or even reduce. So you're going to see roster upheaval across the league, and it'll be up to the teams that I think, you know, are probably already good now, but also in a positive cap situation of which the Patriots are one. So let's say they even lose to Buffalo this year. I don't think they're going away because they've been able to put themselves in a good position for the 2021 offseason, where obviously COVID is going to do a number on their financials as a league, and that cap is going to come down. So that's a huge question mark that I see, not only just for the future of the AFC East, but any division and where the power balance is going to be in the NFL in the coming years. Chris? Uh, I completely agree with what Andrew just said. And uh, touching on what he said with Cap State, the, the Jets have done a pretty good job of setting themselves up to be in good position come next year. They will have, I believe, about $31 million in free space right now. So with a ton of uncertainty, they're in a pretty good spot, and they might be able to take advantage uh, come next offseason. But uh, with the Jets still kind of rebuilding, kind of on their way up, at least in their minds, uh, Miami in the same boat, uh, building towards something in Buffalo where they are in New England. I don't think they're going away. Um, I could see this uh, division kind of rotating the next four or five years, depending on how things pan out. And I, I don't think there will be one team kind of taking control uh, for the foreseeable future. Josh? Yeah, guys, I think we're we're all hitting on it that uh, while we can agree that the AFC East is probably a, a, as wide open as it's been in, in recent history, that moving forward, there's really no um, straight setter in terms of, you know, uh, this team is a lock to, to win the division. I think it's uh, just when you look at the landscape across the industry, I mean, uh, record predictions as a whole, they're, they're all over the place. And um, with Miami specifically, um, I think it, it comes down to who they're going to surround Tua with. Obviously, the, the defense is, is a step ahead of the, the offense. That's how it's looked like in camp. And I think that's how it'll be early on in the season. Um, but long term, I think it's, it comes down to uh, can these young receivers develop into more than just projects, but actual role players and stars. And if not, who are they going to surround Tua with when he is ready to take over? But um, definitely agree with you that um, there's no uh, straight shot to, to winning the East this year. I think, Andrew, depending on how long Bill Belichick is going to stick around and hang around here for, and you can chime in there, w- what's your prediction on that? I know that's a tough question. Uh, yeah, I got nothing there, but I'll just say he said he shows no signs of slowing down. So I, I would say it certainly wouldn't be for at least another two, three years. So even if the Cam Newton experiment doesn't work out, I expect the Patriots to still be uh, in contention for the foreseeable future as long as that guy's there. The Jets, I feel like it's almost a race to get Adam Gase out of there and maybe try to rethink uh, the vision for the franchise and, and putting Sam Darnold 
you know, at the center of things and who can we bring in that's the best leader. I think that's one of the most important things that people miss about what's happened in Buffalo from my perspective is, yeah, there's a lot of things I think people would like to change about Josh Allen or wish that he did a little bit different. But what the Bills have really done a nice job of is pairing him with a coach that's even keeled, that has his best interest at heart. They've they've changed everything on offense to uh, be advantageous to his skill set. And I just don't think that that's happening in, in New York when it comes to just making the guy comfortable and putting pieces around him. So that'll be interesting to watch. And I'm very bullish on the Dolphins. Listen, I'm not going to go as far as Peter King and put them in the AFC East uh, you know, contender conversation quite yet. But we were talking earlier this offseason, Ryan, even before the draft, when I said I thought – I. What Brian Flores is doing there, you know, it opened my eyes a little bit. They have a defense that's going to be very good this year. And then it comes down to, you know, Fitz is going to win you a couple games. He's probably going to lose you a couple games, but they have some nice weapons around him too. I love their their wide receiver combos. In Buffalo, we saw what they were able to do when Preston Williams was healthy. So uh, it's a fun division. It's a fun division. I think the next couple of years are going to be super fun. Uh, yeah, I agree. And Flores has done a nice job just out of the gate cha- uh, changing the culture there in Miami. It seemed like a lot of teams or a lot of people were expecting them to tank, and he didn't let that happen. He showed that they were going to be competitive no matter what. All right, let's go around the horn one more time with record predictions for your respective teams that you're covering. So, Andrew, what do you see? Th- where do you see the Patriots finishing, and with what record? Mm. Oh, this is this is tough. I, I think I'll land on ten and six, and the gut says nine and seven. But I think when it comes to just how thin the margin is for error in the league, right, and the best person to to win on that thin margin has been Bel- the Belichick for twenty years. Like I said, I think they'll land a wild card spot, but it's going to come down to so many close games where randomness comes in, or one decision, or the game management. And I think they'll just get to that ten and six, probably with a win in their final game. Chris. I think the Jets will probably end up uh, about six and ten. They were seven and nine a year ago, and that came after they won six of their final eight games. So uh, I think they're going to get off to another slow start. Maybe not one and six like they were uh, in 2019, but uh, I think their schedule is just a little bit too tough. I think their offense is still at least a year away from kind of being a viable uh, unit that could win them a lot of games. And uh, I just don't think they have it in them this year to kind of get over the top and be a true contender to get a playoff spot. Josh? Yeah, I know Peter King picked them to, to win the East, but I think with Miami, I think 8-8 eight and eight would be um, a, you know, considered a success uh, just given all the uh, turnover that they've had and, and all the, the new pieces that they, they give them. But you know what? I'm, gonna, I'm panning them out at 7-9, and nine and, and I guess we'll you know, see how it all um, happens on the field. But the, the one biggest thing that I forgot to mention is the offensive line. There's only one returner in, in, in the name of Jesse Davis on this offensive line. And um, they went out and drafted three uh, guys there at that group. And, um, you know, anytime there's turnover specifically uh, with the line, I mean, that, that's what makes the offense go. So um, as much experience as Spitz has and as much potential as these receivers have, uh, I think there's going to be some growing pains with the offensive line. And, um, again, a tough schedule uh, here early on in Miami. And Matt? Yeah, tough schedule. I mean, that's the that's the theme of this uh, division. Uh, but I think that the good thing for the Bills is that a lot of their tough games. I, mean, I would say three out of four, not counting the Patriots, um, are at home. I mean, they're gonna they're gonna host Patrick Mahomes. They're gonna host Russell Wilson. Um, the Chargers too, I think, are gonna be pretty good this year. They'll be they'll be in Orchard Park. Uh, I'm predicting eleven and five. I think that uh, with the, the the addition of Stephon Diggs. The defense, I expect to be a little bit bigger. And, and young guys like Devin Singletary, Dawson Knox, taking a step in their second season. Uh, uh, offensive line that has potentially no new starters. We're still waiting to figure out what's going on with Cody Ford, Ty Insecki, uh Daryl Williams in, that, in, in the mix, I think, for that, for that right guard and right tackle job. Uh, but I, I think everything that we've seen, it's funny. How are they going to handle the expectations? That's my biggest question at this point. I think that you should have the expectations. I think you should think, if you're a Bills fan, despite the last two decades, that they've shown you enough over these last two years, two playoff appearances in three seasons, that they can win. Now it's about showing us. Can, can you do it? We'll see. Yeah, without a doubt. Uh, Andrew, Chris, Josh, great stuff from all of you tonight. Why don't you guys go around and tell us where people can find your work and where they can uh, see you on social media. So, Andrew, go ahead. 
Sure. Uh, for me, I mean, they're pretty much one and the same. Anything that I, I put up goes on Twitter. So you can find me at underscore Andrew Callahan. Callahan is C-A-L-L-A-H-A-N. So, uh, yeah, here at the Boston Herald should be getting ready to go starting Wednesday. And I can't wait for the season. Man, I'm glad we made it, first of all, you know, given all everybody's been through. Yeah, and for me, uh, you can find any of my work on NGA.com. Um, and we also cover the Giants and uh, Eagles. So anything you're looking for there, we've got it. And uh, as for social media, uh, on Twitter, I'm at Chris Ryan underscore NJ. Uh, if you want to follow me there, I'm kind of a boring follow, but that's at least what my wife tells me. <laughs> oh, and I'm at uh, JCT Sports, obviously the athletic.com and um, I mean, one of the biggest matchups early on in the season, week two, uh, with Buffalo. So a lot of, uh, um, one of the biggest takeaways, I think the day that the Dolphins announced that they were going to have fans in the building, uh, was not that the players were okay with it, but the players uh, around the division that weren't okay with it. And, uh, obviously with, with, with Buffalo. And, um, so, you know, week one, no fans in new England week two, there'll be fans in Miami. So that's another aspect that we'll, we'll have to pay attention to. Well, the one caveat for fans is that they're they're at ease with it because they think there'll be more Bills fans than Dolphins fans. But that's <laughs> that's remains to be seen. We'll see how that plays out. But guys, thank you so much for joining us today. You guys killed it as always. I appreciate it, and we will talk to you guys all down the road. Hey, thanks, man. Appreciate you guys. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Ryan. Thanks, man. Thank you, guys. All right. All right, so I think we only lost about 20 people. Hang on, because we're going to talk a little bit more. <laughs> um, we wanted to get them out of here. They were gracious with their time. Uh, but we want to kind of dive into this a little bit, and Ryan was so gracious to moderate and host the the event. What, what are your takeaways? Hearing them talk uh, for the past 30 minutes here about how this AFC East is stacking up, uh, do you feel better about the Bills' chances, worse? I mean, where, where are you kind of falling here a couple days out from the opener? I still think they're the favorite in the division. I, I think all four of you were very realistic about uh, the teams and where they currently sit. You know, you look at New England. Yeah, they've lost a lot of talent on both sides of the ball. Obviously, Brady being the key piece on offense. Uh, so many pieces on defense and free agency. And then obviously uh, quite a few also due to uh, opting out. But you still have Bill Belichick and you still have Cam Newton, who if Cam Newton is healthy and plays the way he was uh, a few years ago when he was healthy, I don't know if that's really a drop off, drop off over what we saw out of Tom Brady last year. Brady can still win you games, but he's not the Tom Brady that was dominant in the early 2000s and even the you know early 2010s. He wasn't the same guy. The Bills could have and, and probably should have won at least one of those games last year against New England, so you can't count them out. Uh, the, the Dolphins, a ton of talent on both sides of the ball, but kind of a lack of continuity. Uh, and looking, at, I see in the comments here we have uh, fifty to nothing uh, Bills over Jets prediction for Week One. Yeah, I'll get to the Jets here in a minute, but you know I, I just worry about the Dolphins down the road more so than this year, just because that talent needs to gel together on both sides of the ball. Could they beat the Bills this year in a game? Absolutely, wouldn't surprise me. I just think they're one year away from really uh, competing overall for this division in the Jets. You know, I, I I just don't know what to expect from the Jets. Adam Gase, he, he's not meeting with the positional units face-to-face. -face. Well, he is this week, I guess, for the first time. Uh, seems to always have something going on with the player. Seems to always be something going on there. They've done no favors for Sam Darnold. Um, you know, I, I don't really know who Jeff Smith is, but he was placed on the IR today. And and there are some fans saying, like, even this guy that many of them aren't that don't know that well was working with the first team and he's not going to be available in week one and Vincent Smith, you don't know what Denzel Mims is going to bring. You don't know if Perriman, how he's going to play with that swelling that he's dealt with, but they've done this guy, no favors in Sam Darnold. And I just think that before they can really turn the page and compete, Adam Gase has got to go. And last but not least with the bills, you know, the bills have really uh, built this team up from, from the draft develop and, and then resign as we've seen, they just seem to be in the driver's seat when you take a look at the talent, but also the continuity. Yeah, I think that it's funny. You you look up and down this roster, and I really liked that one question that we got about, you know, where does this division project over the course of the next couple seasons? And, you know, I know it's kind of crazy to hear a guy, a guy like Peter King go out there and predict that the Dolphins could come out there and win the division this year. But in a season where the schedule is so difficult for each team, 
you know, the more you think about it, the more you wonder, well, is it, is it that crazy? I mean, we're talking about a, a Miami Dolphins team that last year in the, in, in the, in the last game of the season beat the Patriots and the Patriots were playing, you know, for, for, for some significant playoff positioning. And so I think that, you know, the bills, they played the bills tough tw- twice last year. Brian Flores showed that kind of like Sean McDermott in 2018, I hate to use the the parallel all the time, but he got the most out of a really bad roster. I thought that two, 2018, you know, I've, I've talked to Joe Biscaglia about this before, uh, several other people on the beat to get six wins out of that 2018 roster, you know, where you're probably your best weapon there on that team was Zay Jones, who almost had double digit touchdowns. I mean, that's pretty impressive stuff. And so I think what we saw with, Brian Flores and this Miami Dolphins team last year is that they're going to be a pest. They're going to be annoying. They have so much more talent on the defensive side. I mean, Josh said it, they've added at every level of the defense. And I think that that defense could be really tough. I think, you know, two of the things, I think the bills need to get off to a strong start. And I think, especially for the division, because as you look at that ominous stretch in the second half that, you know, includes on the road at, um, San Francisco, uh, home games against the Chargers, Pittsburgh Steelers on uh, is it Sunday Night Football, mm-hmm. and then um, at home against the Chargers. There's a lot of really tough games in the second stretch of the season. So I think they have to get off to a s- strong start. Well, who's to say that you go out there, and I, I don't want to be a buzzkill here. I know there's a lot of Bills fans that are super pumped for Sunday, but if the Bills don't come out and put their best foot forward, if Greg Williams sends a bunch of crazy blitzes at Josh Allen and he continues to struggle with that, especially early on in the season, you know, crazy things can happen as we move along in this season. So I think it's exciting from a divisional perspective for all these fan bases that have had the New England Patriots dominate year after year after year. I think they're definitely positioned even in 2020 more than ever. And that's not just how good the Bills are projected to be, but I think the Dolphins should be a real pest as well. So interesting stuff in this division. Oh, without a doubt. Uh, today, you know, we actually heard from Brendan Bean a little bit. He he talked uh, about some of the deals that have been made. He talked about some of the players that made this roster. And, you know, probably two of the bigger surprises were Delshawn Phillips uh, and Reggie Gilliam. You know, what did you take away from what he said about both of those players today in terms of the fact that that final phase, that phase that doesn't get talked about enough special teams. What did you take away from that? Yeah. I mean, first of all, I have an interview with Delshawn Phillips tomorrow. I'm very excited to get a chance to sit down and talk with this young man who, you know, really just threw us all for a loop. Uh, I I think I told the story uh, with Josh on the pod the other day, but if any of you guys missed it, I I reported that Delshawn Phillips made the roster and the source that I had that gave me the information, I kind of had to text him a second time, like, "Hey, man, are you sure here? Are you are are you, are you joshing me here? Are you are you sending me down a a funky uh, street here?" But no, it was you know, it was his special teams work, and he said that he really stood out to Heath Barwell over the course of the summer. Brandon Bean also said that he went back and watched uh, all of his preseason work with Atlanta last year, where the Bills really started to take notice of what he can do, not only as a defensive player, because, you know, you always want guys that can step in and contribute on on defense, but it's more important that those depth guys be special teams contributors. And I think that, you know, in a lot of ways, you know, I went back and watched some games and I thought that he was always really solid, but maybe they think that a Delshawn Phillips can be an improvement on a Julian Stanford, who was your backup middle linebacker, but also played on all special teams units. Well, now if you upgrade that spot and Phillips is better, which they believe, I think that they believe that he is, you have Tyrell Dotson, who's now in place. Uh, Sean McDermott uh, or no, Leslie Frazier said it two weeks ago that he's been primarily the backup Mike linebacker. So I'm very interested to see how, you know, these young guys perform. I mean, Reggie Gilliam is a guy that you know, you've spent a lot of time this offseason, not only talking to him, but, you know, really studying what he potentially could mean because, you know, Bills fans have been waiting for, you know, to move on from a fullback. I don't think it's necessarily Patrick DeMarco. I think a lot of Bills fans like Patrick DeMarco and what he brought, his intention, intensity on special teams, his leadership acumen. So I think it was, you know, more of wanting to move away from the position. And it's funny. They got Gilliam in here, and they're saying that he's a tight end now. So they, they kind of have moved away from the position. Uh, we'll see how much they use him in, in, in that uh, regard, too. Yeah, and he might even be inactive some weeks, but he, he has that H-back skill set. And if you remember those years of Charles Clay in Miami when he was really productive, I could see Gilliam developing into something like that. But 
back, uh, my cousin actually found back in April where I said of all the undrafted free agents, Gilliam was the one that I thought could make this roster. And it came down to special teams. I, I watched a few of the highlights from the games where he had block kicks as a junior. He led the nation in block kicks. He just has that knack for getting after the ball and being that first guy down in the field. And when you look at that special teams unit, I know some of you guys that are in the comments and people that will come back and rewatch this, you know, special teams probably doesn't excite you much, but you have a Tyler Matakevich, a guy that flies down the field. You have a Reggie Gilliam who has a lot of success at the college level in special teams and Taiwan Jones, Saran Neal, and the list goes on and on. That's such an important phase to, to being a successful football team that I think the Bills are actually really setting themselves up nicely to have a really solid unit for Heath uh, Farewell in 2020. 100%. I'm trying to bring something up here real quick because if so, if, if you know, someone might be watching this, they may not have seen this highlight yet. And if it lets me show it, uh, I want to talk a little bit about it. So let's see uh, if it'll let me. Okay. Let's go back to that. Now, this is during one-on-one -on -one drills today. Um, they were they do these usually right at the end of um, – uh, the portion of practice that now we're in the regular season that we get to watch. And Stefan Diggs had a couple uh, nice reps uh, with Josh. And then this play, if you notice, uh, it's John Brown lining up at receiver here. And that's Saran Neal on the boundary, who I think he is a big reason why the Bills only went are going into the season with three outside cornerbacks, Josh Norman, Trey White, and Levi Wallace. Watch this rep here and how well I thought Saran Neal played it. All right, that's John Brown. That's one of the fastest receivers in the NFL. Great play. Great dance. <laughs> the dance was really the uh, – look how big Gabriel Davis is there. I mean, John yeah. Brown's not very big. But anyway, I wanted to show that a little bit because, you know, I think that John Brown is such an interesting piece of all this because I think we all know what irks you know, what our expectations are of Stefan Diggs and what he's going to bring to the offense. But I mentioned it earlier about what I think he's going to do in that short game. I think that his work in the short game could potentially unlock downfield John Brown. Uh, you know what I mean? I think this could be, you know, uh, uh, an aerial assault. If Josh Allen can get that deep ball honed in and going and consistent. Um, I think that, you know, John Brown, to me, this is lining up if everybody could stay healthy to be the perfect scenario for Josh to have a dependable one like jo like Stefan Diggs and then an explosive downfield threat like John Brown at number two. And oh, by the way, you have Cole Beasley there in the slot when you need him. Yeah, you know, the offense looks loaded. I love what you said about Saran Neal, though, because this is a guy that came in and it was more of a developmental guy. They weren't really sure. Small school player. Uh, and special teams was what kind of helped him out early on. And then all of a sudden you saw him in that big nickel role and you saw some promise there. So this is a guy that, again, they drafted, they've developed, and now whether they re-sign him down the road, who knows? But he's a guy that fits that mold of what they've said, at least in those first two steps, draft and develop. And, and we've seen that from, again, a, a day three pick, kind of like Taron Johnson, also like Matt Milano, and the list goes on. Yeah, I really like what Aaron says here. And this is important to remember. You know, we put together all those training camp uh, daily recaps. And, you know, I'm always already looking forward to next year when we're, hopefully we're back at St. John Fisher and we could do those daily recaps as well in a, a little bit more of an in-depth version when there won't be maybe so many restrictions. Fingers crossed that the NFL doesn't think that they found a new way of doing things here. But, you know, I think what Aaron says here is really important. These one These one-on-ones really favor the offensive players, they really do, especially when you have the whole field to work with. That was a, you know, a pretty basic seam route where he just like, you know, made a move quick and then busted down the sideline and it was a, a foot race. But there's a lot of times in these drills where going up against guys like Isaiah McKenzie or Cole Beasley, I mean, Dean Marlowe said it the best when he was asking about Cole. He was like, man, the dude is unguardable, especially in that environment. So great observation by, by Aaron there. And to your point, yes, yeah, Saran Neal, he is almost like this, uh, you know, who, who did I call? I called Ryan Bates, the utility man the other day. Maybe we got to give the defensive version of that to Saran Neal because he can do so many things and be maybe even a safety in a pinch. I don't think that they would get there at this point because obviously the Jaquan Johnson, they really like um, Dean Marlowe, who, who they brought back to the 53-man roster as well. But yeah, I think that, you know, the one thing I'll say too about the AFC East, and it's going to start with the Jets on Sunday in Orchard Park, you know, I'm seeing a lot of score predictions and my score prediction was pretty high. And we'll get more into this 
on Friday. I don't want to give too much of it away because we're going to do a, 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 a Jets preview show. The Bills better come out there and really just lay the smack down. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like there's so much bubbling anticipation over the course of the offseason. It's like, okay, you get us to the playoffs. If I'm a Bills fan, you get us to the playoffs last year, you almost beat Houston on the road. And then everything that happened this offseason, getting Stephon Diggs, landing a first-round talent like A.J. Epinesa, maybe getting one of the best running back talents in the draft in the third round in Zach Moss, all these little pieces, the work that they did in free agency to bolster the defense. It's like, man, you got to go in there week one against a really, you know, lackluster Jets roster that's hurting. I mean, that, those wide receivers are hurting right now, and you got to really put it on them. And, you know, if this ends up being a 20, 24, 21 type of game, I mean, I, I, I don't know how Bill's Mafia is going to, it's a win's a win. Don't get me wrong. But I, I feel like there's this sense of, I want to see domination on Sunday. Yeah, I actually agree. Someone asked me about that. What, you know, what would be a disappointment in week one? And I said, well, if the Bills don't win by double digits, I think that would be a disappointment. And I even think just 10 points would, would even be a little bit of a disappointment if it was just 31-21 or 21, you know, not 21-11 because that doesn't usually happen. But you, you get the point. I, I just think, like you said, the, the amount of talent on both sides of, of the ball, the continuity, uh, the fact that the Bills are coming off of a playoff appearance, they're just the, the better overall roster. McDermott should be able to outcoach Adam Gase. You know, everything seems to favor Buffalo. And I know Greg Williams is a very good defensive coordinator. I know he'll throw the kitchen sink out there in week one. There could be some trick plays by the Jets offense. Anything can happen in the NFL. But like you said, the Bills need to make a statement in week one. If they want to be taken seriously as a legitimate AFC East contender here, right out of the gate, in my opinion. All right, let's get out of here. But before we do... Let's give our, our prediction with records, AFC East. I'll go first. The Bills, 11 and 5. The Patriots, 10 and 6. The Miami Dolphins, 9 and 7. I don't even know if that's possible, but we're going to get real close and comfortable. And then I think the Jets are going to go 4 and 12. Uh, I, I don't think they're going to be very good. I think that I think that each AFC East team may beat the Jets twice this year. <laughs> Fair, fair enough. Go ahead. Have, hit me what you got. I have the Bills at 10 and 6. And I know some people will be like, well, that was the record last year. And they added Stefan Diggs and they added Mario Addison and Eric Washington and all these other players. 10 and 6 in 2020 is so much more impressive than 10 and 6 in 2019 when you compare the schedules. So keep that in mind that yeah, if they end up with the same record. It, it doesn't look like much of a difference, but it would be such a huge difference based on who they're playing this year, based on the talent level of some of these teams that they're going to be facing off with. Uh, I have the Patriots at nine and seven. I have the Dolphins at eight and eight, and I have the Jets at five and 11. Mm, I like it. So we're pretty close. We're pretty yeah, close. Absolutely. All right, guys, this has been the shout uh, Buffalo football podcast. He is Ryan Talbot. I am Matt Perino, Syracuse.com, New York You can find all of our work. We had a really just outstanding press conference today with Tredavious white fresh off of his, uh, f- his brand new contract that he just signed, making him the highest paid cornerback in the NFL. He was emotional. It was raw. Uh, some great stuff. I'm going to write about that tonight. I'll be on the site tomorrow. Make sure you check that out. And as always, podcast form, Spotify, Stitcher, Apple, Google, rate, review, subscribe, shout. He is Ryan. I am Matt. We will see you Wednesday night with Tyler Dunn for our NFL special shout preview. We'll also talk a little bit about your bills as well. All right, guys, have a night. Great night.